Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Topo Athletic. Topo Athletic is a running shoe brand that I put a lot of trust in. They make really high-quality, low-drop or no-drop shoes that run the gamut between racers, and just a neutral training shoe, some lightweight training shoes, some off-road shoes, and some recovery shoes. The silver lining, or say the, the red line that goes through all of them, is that they're all low drop. They all have a wide forefoot so your toes can splay, grip the ground, have a really good cushioning and footbed, and they just are high-quality stuff. Tony Post was on the podcast a few months ago, if you heard that episode, you know, he's just a great guy, really cares about the running community, and they put out a really good product. So check them out at topoathletic.com. Also, Megaton Coffee, who's doing just wonderful things, and they're starting a kind of like a Black Friday to Christmas special. So I talk about Megaton Coffee all the time. It's high-quality stuff. It's some of the best coffee that I drink, and it's twice as caffeinated as the normal cup. And now you can try Megaton Coffee 20% off at checkout. Type in rambling20, you get 20% off of checkout. So, I just got home from the California International Marathon. What an incredible trip. It was like a family reunion going to this expo. I was there for basically 36 hours. I saw so many people that I've gotten to know, either guests on the podcast or people that I've interacted with on social media, just so many listeners. And I could not be more appreciative of all the people who either came up to say hi, people who came to my interview with Sarah Crouch, which is today's episode, and the panel discussion I did with Heather Schultz, Jill Deering, Kim Clark Underwood, and Patrick Cutter. Just, I am so grateful to everybody who came through, said hi, or just, you know, just showed up to, to listen to these wonderful, wonderful runners. So, this episode is with my is my interview with Sarah Crouch that we did on Friday at the Expo. So Sarah, as you may know, was the top American woman at the Chicago Marathon just a few weeks after getting a tumor removed from her quad. I mean, that is just absolutely incredible stuff. She's been on a lot of podcasts since, but I wanted to get her on the show and at that panel and at the Expo because not only is that an incredible story, but here she is running her second marathon in one season when 10 years ago, when she started doing marathons, it took her three years to get over her first marathon. And here she was going right from Chicago and that experience and getting past the surgery and recovering and ramping back up and then tapering again and then doing another big time marathon. And I couldn't wait to talk to her in front of everybody about that and also field some questions from the audience. So, CIM was run today, so what I'm going to do right now is read Sarah's Instagram post post-race. It's because she is, a, as you'll hear in a second, an extremely articulate person. So her words are almost always better than mine, so I'm going to read her words. This was her Instagram post, and I think it's prescient to this discussion because now that the race has happened, you know or may know how she finished. So here it goes. Well, friends... Some days you run right up to your glass ceiling, and other days you smash through it and end up somewhere in the pile of broken shards. I've been so happy with 2018, and my only goal was to take massive risks today in pursuit of the win, and I did just that, scorching the first half side-by-side with Steph Rothstein in 114. 
I wouldn't take it back. I wouldn't change one thing about how I raced today, despite the fact that my left calf blew up and I had to pull out at mile 22. For the record, I intend to continue racing like a brave little idiot until one day it all comes together. So grateful for the experience, the lessons, and the support, and so, so thankful for Steph, who went on to crush her PR and finish second. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Crouch. Thank you very much, and thank you everybody for coming out today. We really appreciate it. First thing, good luck to everyone who's running on Sunday, and to you too, Sarah. Good luck oh, on thank Sunday. You. I appreciate that, and second it, yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right, so as we just heard in the introduction, you were the first female at the Chicago Marathon, first, first American female at the Chicago Marathon this past year, but your lead-up to that race was not necessarily ideal. So several weeks before the marathon, you had a tumor removed from your quad. So can you just tell us exactly how you found out about that and the decision to have that removed before the race? Yeah, I I had been dealing with some quad pain for about uh, six weeks, and uh, I'd attempted to do a tune-up race, as many of us do before a marathon, um, and the pain in my quad was so bad that I had to drop out of that race. So... A week later, I went into a physical therapist, and what I thought was a knot, a large knot in the muscle, actually turned out to be a tumor the size of about a gumball. And so I ended up um, having to make this very difficult decision about um, two and a half weeks before Chicago uh, to surgically remove the tumor. And uh, the the tumor was pretty deep into the muscle, and um, the surgeon was really honest with me, and he, he just told me, look, like, if I remove this there's a chance that it might be wrapped around nerves or muscle and you may not be able to run for a living anymore. So I was faced with this really, really difficult decision right before Chicago. And uh, I decided to take a leap of faith and have that tumor removed. And um, fortunately, it ended up okay. And I was able to uh, to run Chicago. But I showed up to the Chicago Marathon with um, a heart that was just full of gratitude. And I felt truly blessed to be there. And I think that that carried on pretty well into the race. So how quickly after the surgery did it become apparent that running the race was a possibility? Uh, I would say within two or three days. My leg was pretty swollen, um, and I took the next day off from running, but the next day I was back out there at it, and immediately there was just this sense of of relief. There was still pain around the incision site, um, but I could tell that the pressure and the pain caused by the tumor was gone. Um, and that, that was a run that I came home from, and uh, I had happy tears in my eyes. I can imagine. So mm-hmm. what was the pain like before the surgery? So before the surgery, it was uh, a really strange kind of pain that was actually causing, um, it was more sensation pain, like numbness, tingling, um, pain shooting all the way down the muscle, almost as though um, at times, it sounds a little cliche, but as if there was like a knife in the muscle. Um, so it was, it was definitely unpleasant, but... Um, you know, it, it was, uh, there, I, I really feel like in running, there's two kinds of pain. There is the pain like that, which is not a good pain or the pain of injury. And then there's the pain that we bring upon ourselves as we're all going to do on Sunday. Um, that is the good kind of pain that, that we seek to achieve. So fortunately I was able to get rid of the bad kind before I hit the starting line of Chicago. And there can be a fine line there between identifying <laughs> what pain it is. And also you have that element where you want to make sure you're tough and be gritty and you want to get through those oh, sure. hard points. So how long was the decision process for you in terms of figuring out, all right, this is just something I can deal with versus this is something that needs medical attention? You know, uh, I had about a 24-hour turnaround between um, 
that I, I got to decide to have the tumor out and the actual surgery. And within that 24-hour span, um, I decided to, to write about it. And then I decided to go for a run, knowing that it might be the last run I could do for a while if things went poorly. Um, and on that run, you know, I always expected if it was a run that I knew for sure this, this, this is going to be my last run, um, that I would think about, you know, all the places running had taken me and all the wonderful races. But truthfully, I didn't think about any of that. Um, I thought about the people that running has brought into my life. And I knew that regardless of whether or not I was able to continue with my career, nothing could take away the last 15 years that has brought the most amazing people into my life. So I, I felt even walking into the, the, the room for surgery, um, I just, I, I felt very blessed. And you mentioned just now that you entered the weekend of the Chicago Marathon with this overwhelming sense of gratitude. How do you normally, in the preceding <laughs> marathons in races that you would run, how yeah. do you normally feel going into a race? About how I do right now. Um, you know, it kind of feels like you're a soldier in a tent, you know, the night before battle. And you're just kind of coming to terms with the fact that the next day you might have to go out and take a cannonball to the chest. It's really scary, um, the thought of racing, but it can help to know on the starting line, everyone from Mo Farah at the you know, front of the Chicago Marathon to the person 40,000 people back running their first. That's me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all go through the same spectrum of emotion, but at the end of the day, no one's holding a gun to your head making you do this. Um, this is a pain that you bring upon yourself. And uh, I think we all have a bit of that dread before the race where we think, I would rather be anywhere but here. I would rather um, not be running this marathon. But then you have to go back and remember, why did you sign up for it in the first place? Why did you start running in the first place? Um, and for me, when everything else is boiled away, I really enjoy just putting one foot in front of the other. I still love to run. Um, and I know that'll carry me through on Sunday, even through the tough parts that will have me gritting my teeth and making those horrible race photo faces. Um, you know, at the end of the day, to me, it's still worth it. So the nervousness that many of us feel before a race oftentimes starts to dissipate basically the minute we, cro the minute we cross that starting line. Yeah. Did that sense of gratitude you came into Chicago with had that same effect, or were you able to carry it through into the race? No, that's a good question. Um, there, I felt pretty good up through about mile 21, and when the pain really started to kick in, um, I actually still had the bandage covering the stitches where I'd had my tumor removed, and I reached down and I, I touched it, and I was like, okay, the next 20 minutes are going to be hell, but you're going to embrace it because you're lucky to be here. Um, and I think that it's easy for us to forget our body's natural inclination with pain um, is to avoid it because that's a survival instinct. It's a basic survival instinct. So distance running is all about learning how to override your body's natural reaction to pain, which is avoidance. Um, so I think it can help during moments of the race, particularly in the late stages where things really, really start to hurt, um, to draw on you know, really active, positive messages that you tell yourself before the race. Sometimes I even write something on my arm, you know, to remind myself to, to stay strong because um, the average human brain produces about 70% negative self-talk and only about 30% um, positive self-talk naturally. So you really have to learn how to, how to combat that if you want to make it through um, point A to point B as fast as you can. So when you're going through those periods in a race where you're really struggling or you're going through you're fighting through pain, do you feel like you're better off kind of going inside of yourself and trying to be mm -hmm. internal and kind of grappling with that? Or are you better off focusing externally, either on surroundings, the other runners, yeah. what have you? 
You know, I found in, in training and in coaching that really there's only two types of athletes. Um, and this is personal to, you know, to each person, but there are athletes who are acceptance athletes and they are the ones who get to the pain in a race and they say, bring it on. I'm going to make this hurt as bad as I can and I'm going to fight through it. And then there's athletes like me who are avoidance athletes who will lie to ourselves throughout the entire race and say, I feel great, even if we feel terrible. Um, so just show of hands, who here is acceptance, acceptance athletes? We've got a couple. And who's avoidance? Oh, that's not very evenly split, is it? We've got way more avoidance here. Um, <laughs> but no, I think, honestly, I don't think there's one that's better than the other. I think it's about knowing your own particular strengths and how you can use that. If you're someone who has that just heart of a lion and you're a competitor, at the end of the race, when you're hurting, eyes up, focus on the person ahead of you. Don't let them beat you. Be a competitor. And if you're avoidance like I am, focus on the positive things around you, the people who are cheering, um, the beautiful fall trees out on the CIM course, anything that's going to keep your mind positive rather than negative. Now, we know that you're running two marathons this season alone, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But your, the distance between your first two marathons were three years. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to hear about just the, the mental drain that precipitated that huge gap between your first marathon experience and your second marathon experience. Right. So truthfully, um, in all honesty, and this stays between us in this convention center, um, my first marathon, I was actually 19 years old, and I ran it uh, my junior year of college a week after my track season ended without the permission of my coach. Um, so New York at, at 22 years old was actually my second marathon, but it was my first professional marathon, and I did so much mental damage to myself during that race that I was unable to even stomach the thought of a marathon for three years after that. Um, and I think a lot of us have a similar experience with our first marathon. We all feel good through about halfway and we go out too fast and we blow up. And I finished locked in an eight minute mile paced battle with this sub elite man who had fallen off all the way to the finish, just slow motion. And uh, managed to finish the race, but when I was done, um, my body and mind were just completely broken, and uh, I had no desire to return to the marathon until actually a woman who I had raced with in college, she went out and ran a sub-230 marathon, and on that day, I was like, I can do that. Um, and I've been chasing that goal ever since, but that was the year that I came back and decided to race again and ran 232 at Chicago. Wow. It's, it's first of all running a marathon at age 19. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend I would, it. I'm, not, I'm just in, in awe of that, first of all. But what kind of mental damage did you experience in that race? I know we've all had those kinds of experiences, um, but what about that race specifically and where in the race you did it happen? The pain of a marathon is a specific kind of trauma, and it's very difficult to explain to anyone who hasn't experienced it. Um, so if anyone listening is running their debut, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, I always like to describe those la that last 10K of a marathon. It's like this monster that you come up against every time you race, and you never truly beat him, but each time you come up against him, you get a little bit better at fighting him. You learn a few more tricks towards battling that particular type of pain. Um, but heading into New York, my first one, I knew nothing about that kind of pain, and it was like that monster just completely laid me out, and I was, I was done. Um, so I think that there are times where we are able to inflict, it's remarkable really, we're able to inflict such physical damage um, on our bodies that our, our brains kind of shut off from that trauma. 
And uh, for me, it was there are parts of that last 10K through Central Park that I cannot remember to this day because I don't think my brain will let me access that. And I think a lot of marathoners here today probably have a similar race. Um, and sometimes you see your, your, your race photos during that last 10K, and it just looks, your eyes are dead. It's like your soul has left your body. Um, so it was definitely one of those kind of days, and I'm fortunate that um, each marathon that has gone by, physically the damage is still the same, but emotionally it doesn't hurt me as bad as it used to. I kind of describe the marathon training and racing as giving you this emotional Kevlar vest, and like with grief or loss or any negative emotion, that pain at the end of the marathon, you learn how to live within it. You learn how to function within the confines of that, um, that negative experience. And uh, for me, it now does a lot less mental and emotional damage, such that even after Chicago, an hour later, I was saying, okay, I want to run CIM versus New York, where I was like, I never, ever want to do this again. And uh, another show of hands I'm going to have to ask. After your first marathon, how many of you said, I'm never doing this again? There we go. Yes. <laughs> so that should stay right there. But we come back. We do because we love that challenge and because we have short memories, frankly. Now, have you been able to replicate the mental struggle that goes on in a marathon in training to allow you to actually prepare for that? Or how, how do you, I guess, and another way of saying is how do you prepare yourself for what you're going to face in a marathon? Or is that something that you're unable to do in training? It's very difficult to do in training. I find that the best way to do it is this. If you have a long run where your last several miles, you're cutting down in pace until that last bit is about as fast as you can go, that's the only way to simulate it. Because in a marathon, even if your pace isn't changing at all in the last 10K, your effort is going like this. So the interesting thing is, and why a lot of people hit the wall, is that your body can store about 1,800 to 2,000 calories at a time. If you're burning about 100 calories a mile, that's going to have you run out right around 20 miles, which is where a lot of people bonk. Um, so really, to simulate that in training is impossible unless you're doing a full 26 miles or an over-distance long run. So if you are able to instead increase your pace and your effort, effort, that can kind of simulate the later stages of a marathon. But truthfully, um, the pain that you experience in the last four miles of marathon, it's, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever done in training. All right. Before we get into the next question, I do want to say we are going to have a Q&A session at the end of this. So if you do want to submit a question for that, the best way to do it is to go on Instagram. You can DM me, and I'll just pick them right from there. My Instagram handle is rambling underscore runner. If you have any questions, send them my way, and we'll do that at the end. So the marathon pain is unique. But obviously, every race you know, can, can bring some sort of, you know, mental and physical hurdle you need to overcome. So how would you compare what happens in a marathon to say what happens in, you know, you ran the 25K championships this year, you've run half marathons as well. How would you compare and contrast um, that feeling? It is kind of apples and oranges. Uh, the marathon is a different sport. Um, and a lot of the time, especially with, with women who are particularly good at the shorter distance races, 5K, 10K, even half marathon, um, they look at their times, they plug them into a pace calculator and say, oh, this is what I should be able to run in a marathon. Uh, the truth is the marathon is a completely different sport. Um, and I do think that more so than any other event, experience in the marathon goes an awfully long way. Um, it can be quite unfamiliar to, to people who race 5Ks and 10Ks, uh, the notion of remaining comfortable for the first several miles of a marathon. But anyone who has run enough knows that you have to be comfortable for the first several miles of the marathon or else you're not going to finish with any sort of pop in your legs at all in the last 10K. 
That's a great point. I know I've experienced that. It was such a big difference between my first marathon and my second marathon was just like the feeling at the starting line. So when you're at a starting line, it's obviously your expectations for, for the race are very different than my expectations for the race in a marathon. So what do you feel like at a marathon starting line compared to how you feel at a half marathon or 5K starting line? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel a lot less scared, believe it or not, at a marathon starting line because I know I'm still going to have a good hour to hour and a half before it's going to start to hurt. But, um, you know, truthfully, nowadays, I, I do run a lot of major marathons and I'm going back to Chicago and thinking about um, that moment on the starting line when the sun is coming up behind this gorgeous wall of skyscrapers and there's, uh, you know, news helicopters circling in the air and there's cop lights flashing and it's very intense. Um, There is that moment when they play the national anthem and everyone stops moving and the music just kind of settles over the crowd. And I feel like that's a moment where everyone is really gathering themselves. It's the calm before the storm. And always in that moment, um, I remind myself that I'm, I'm very lucky, A, to do this for my job, but B, I'm very lucky to do it in general. And sometimes I have this moment where I think back to this one particular moment in training, um, and it's kind of odd, but it's something that stuck with me through the years. Um, when I trained in Bellingham, Washington during college, it was, you know, about the rainiest town you can live in in the United States. And there were times I would go out for a really long, long run, and it would be pouring the whole time, and I would be miserable and covered in mud and just very, um, you know, mentally toughing it out to be out there putting in the miles. And I had one particular long run where I was just so negative the whole time. And I remember coming down, it must have been 21 or 22 miles, and I I was finishing this run down by this intersection, and I pull up to the light, and I hit it, and I wait for it to change so I can cross the street. And I just thought, you know, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. Like, this this sucks. Um, And at that moment, someone in a wheelchair crossed the other side of the intersection, and I thought, no, like, I am... I am so lucky. Um, so sometimes even now, 10 years later than that, I think about that moment and how blessed I am to be able to do this. So I know we're all going to feel like that on the starting line. We're all going to be nervous and we're all, there's a part of us that doesn't want to do it. But um, honestly, we're all lucky to be out there. Truthfully, we are. No, that's an absolutely great point. And speaking of being out there, so you're running two marathons in the fall season. You ran Chicago. It went very well. You're here at CIM. What is that like in terms of recovering from the first marathon, ramping it up again, and then tapering again in such a short period of time? Yeah, I think uh, mentally more than physically, it's harder than anything else to, to, remain, um, to remain hungry and focused when I've been really honestly training since July for this. Um, but truthfully, physically, there's a, a general rule of thumb that it takes about one day per mile of a race for you to fully recover from it. So if you run a 5K, generally it's in your legs for about three days. A marathon is in your legs for a good four weeks. Um, so it took a certain amount of grace period for me to say, okay, my workouts are probably going to uh, suffer from this um, for a little while before I really feel that pet back in my step. And sure enough, um, it took right around four weeks, and then I felt like I was um, back you know, producing times in my training that I didn't even see before Chicago. And, and hopefully... This means I've, I've taken that next step and will be able to PR on Sunday. But um, honestly, I, I would recommend doing back-to-back marathons. I coached a woman who uh, ran Boston a bad weather year. Not this year, but it was a bad weather year. And she ran, you know, 322 at Boston and was dissatisfied. And we made kind of this tricky decision to, you know, rest her for a week, build up quickly for two weeks, drop back down again, and she ran 309 four weeks later. Um, so it, it can be done if, if you're smart about it, for sure. Now, how did your recovery from the tumor impact 
that, that period of time? Um, you know, it didn't really have as much of an effect as I was worried about. And it was in, um, in surgical terms, there's the kind of cut they do. It either creates muscle tension or it doesn't, meaning the way the muscle pulls during exercise will either um, go against the grain of the stitches or with it. And fortunately, mine went with it. So it didn't really um, require any major recovery. Once the swelling was down, I was able to, um, I was able to jump back into training, which was, which was definitely a good thing. And it wasn't anywhere that, like, you know, if it was on um, my feet, I probably wouldn't have been able to, you know, to jump back in so quickly. So the 25K championships this year, you made a spur-of-the-moment decision right before the race. Yeah. You took off the watch, and you ran without the watch. And you hadn't done that in the past. Yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit about just the unhealthy relationship that some runners may have with technology. Not unhealthy, like... That's probably an over-dramatization of it, but how the technology can go to, from a point of being helpful to being harming. It's actually harming someone's training or racing ability if they are too dependent on it. Sure. So I coach athletes, and I will share with you right now my number one pet peeve with athletes. Um, after a race, sometimes I'll get a message from an athlete, and they'll say, you know, the race was going pretty well, but then I saw my heart rate, so I decided to slow down in the last half mile. No, no, no. Guys, it's 2018, and I know that technology is widely available to us, but do not let a machine tell you how to race. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Of the professional runners that I know, I would say maybe 70 to 80% do not run with a GPS watch. I do not. This is a $10 Timex from Walmart, and it's what I will be running CIM with. Um, over time, when you become so dependent on this little machine on your wrist telling you how to run, you start to ignore the true effort that your body is asking you to run. So I think that there can be a really, really good thing that happens when you finally get so fed up with your watch that you do what I did at the 25K, which is I dropped it in my backpack and I said, screw it, I'm just going to run and see what happens. Um, and honestly, that day, a 25K is about 15 and a half miles. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Metric system, yeah. Uh, so that day, you know, the first 10 miles, um, I was running about, I think I averaged about 527 per mile. And truthfully, there was nothing in my training that said I would have been able to do that. But I didn't allow myself to be afraid. And even though I felt I was running, honestly, what felt like a suicide pace, my body was able to withstand it, you know, because of the, the months of training I put in. Um, there, there comes a time when your training adds up and then your body is able to write a really, really big check and you can actually cash it during the race. So, um, so I think that truly the only way that we find our limits is when we go a little bit beyond them and, and in many ways technology holds us back from that. Right, and there's also that middle ground too, right? Where, so especially for a marathon, if you go out too fast... Yes. And a marathon, I guess there, good luck. Yeah, there is a caveat with that. So at Chicago, I certainly did have my watch on, but it wasn't, it was there to make sure, it, it, I set myself a speed limit of 540 per mile. And I said, if I go any faster than that, I have to slow down. Um, so that I was, do the same thing. Oh, yeah? At 540 per mile, don't go any faster. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bring it on Sundays, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, and then you also have the component where different races might require different use of technology. Right, so for a marathon, the, the obviously what you don't want to do is go out too hard the first, you know, 10k, 10 miles, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're at 20 and it's over. Whereas, like for say a 5k, it's it's a totally different story. Like the last yeah. mile is, you know, 
Forget about it. You don't need to watch for that. You know, with a, with a 5K, there's something I like to do, especially when my athletes ask me for a specific race plan. I just say it's it's very, very simple with a 5K. Run the first mile with your head, meaning don't be stupid. Go out smart. You know, the second mile with your body, your training, settle into your rhythm, and run the third mile with your heart. That's all you can do. Um, so that's very simple for a 5K. And I think that it is... Uh, that's, a, that's a, a specific type of torture that I don't prefer. I prefer the long, slow grind of a marathon, but um, there's not as much patience in a 5K, that's for sure. Now, you talk, you've spoken a lot about you know, your goals of reaching the 230 marathon, and you went through a, a number of years where you didn't PR in, in, in a couple of different distances, and that has kind of a drag on you, and it's something that you, you know, fought through, um, hoping that you know, your, your best days weren't behind you, so to speak. So we've all been there. Runners of any ability have been there where they felt like, I just, I'm just not getting it, I'm plateauing, or worse, I'm going backwards. What is your advice to people who are having those thoughts? You know, I went for four years until this year, I went through four years what I, where I did not set a single personal best in any event. And it was incredibly difficult. And I always like to describe it as like a rope that begins to fray. And, and when you're a professional runner, the first thing that begins to fray, okay, you don't make as much money at it when you're not winning. Um, the glory isn't there. You're not breaking the tape. All these things start to fall apart. And uh, I think with any athlete in a period of stagnation, if it goes on long enough, you find out what your last thread is made of in that rope. And for me, I truly was down to my last thread. But as I mentioned for me, the very basic level of why I do this is because I still love to do it. So I can honestly say, if I had gone another four years without a PR, I'd still be here doing this. I'd still be knocking away and hoping that it happened. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of times where I think all of us feel washed up or too old or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there has to be a part of you that believes your best days are ahead of you. And I also think it is, um, it's a very basic part of human nature that we want to be hopeful and we want to, to dream and believe about something big, even if that means breaking the next age group level when you hit it. Um, whatever it is, whatever keeps you, you know, heading out the door, if it's something that means enough to you, um, when the other threads of that rope snap, it won't. It'll keep you, keep you hanging on. And if you've gone a couple years without setting that PR or feeling you haven't reached your potential, there's almost, it almost has a positive effect on your emotions if you can say, oh, I guess my best days are just behind me because it almost lets you off the hook, <laughs> right? It's just like if you, if you have to buy into like, no, your best days are still ahead of you, it almost holds you accountable. And sometimes that can be harder unless you're you know, really w willing to now you know, redouble your efforts to get back there. Sure, sure. I think it can also be a time to try something new. Like if you're someone who has been a pure marathoner since you started running, um, you know, if you, if you start to stagnate, it can help to try something different. And I always recommend to my marathoners every now and then take a season where you go run a couple of 5Ks and 10Ks. Building your speed will actually really help you in the long run as it relates to your marathon training. So I recommend that to a lot of my athletes athletes. And, uh, you know, this sounds a little in extreme, but honestly, um, if you're at a stage where you're stagnant, but you're also hating getting out the door every day, life is too short to do something you hate. No one is forcing you to run. So if you ever hit that point, um, I think there's times where it's okay. My husband is sitting over there with the backwards hat. You know, he had a, a period of time where injury after injury after injury took him away from being able to run fast. And so he had to take 
a full year where he said, you know what, I'm just going to run when I feel like it going out the door um, and, uh, and just run for the pure love of it versus, you know, going out there to train competitively. So um, when he finally did come back to it and was able to start training healthy, that year off made all the world of difference. So, uh, so I think it can help for a time to, to step away from it. And again, life is, life is just too short if you're absolutely hating it. There you go. And there's plenty of, of female runners who have given birth and come back oh, yeah. and all of a sudden mm-hmm. set PRs maybe that they didn't expect to or maybe earlier than they expected to. And obviously when, when that happens, you're taking significant time off from heavy-duty training, if not training at all. Sure. Yeah. All right. So we have a question from the audience. This is from Jeff. Sarah, knowing that staying healthy is a key performance indicator for long-term success as a runner, what do you do to sustainable, optimize health and resiliency as a runner? Thank you, and good luck on Sunday. I apologize, everybody. I am a horrible reader. I'm going to read these as best I can. <laughs> you did great. No. Um, this is not going to be a very popular answer, but I do feel like resiliency in and of itself um, – there are times that I feel like it is largely genetic um, and that being able to stay healthy in and of itself is its own type of talent in that some, sometimes it feels like you're born with that or not. Um, I've run up to 140 mile weeks and I have only had one real injury in my training. Um, whereas my husband, again, has run, you know, he runs in the 80 to 90 mile a week range and he has been plagued with injuries his entire career. So um, for people who do tend to be more injury prone, it becomes all of the supplemental stuff outside of the training. Um, that is what becomes more important. So I think about something that Meb said after he won Boston and someone asked him, look, what's your secret? How do you stay healthy? And he's like, it's not the two hours a day that I'm running. It's the 22 hours a day that I'm not running. It's what I'm doing with that time. Um, so in my own career, I feel like I have been a little bit lazy because I've been able to get away with it, um, and not been injured, but also now I'm, I'm 29, I'm not 19. And I have aches and pains when I get out of bed in the morning because of years and years and years of accumulated training. Um, so I am realizing that now I do need to lift and be proactive and foam roll and Epsom salt bath and all these little things that I didn't necessarily do, um, when I was first starting my career. So again, that may not be the most popular answer, but Sometimes it feels like um, resiliency is not, um, it's sometimes it's just not in the cards for some people. Now, you mentioned a lot of things there. Are there certain stuff that you do on the side that you prioritize over others for someone who maybe has like, you know, the full-time job and they only have a limited amount of time to fit those ancillary items in? It is a one-word answer, sleep. Um, In my athletes, particularly the ones who have incredibly intense jobs, um, I've coached people who need to be at work at 6. I coached a woman who was head of the NATO security for, for, the Air, for the NATO Air Force. I've coached a woman who was on a submarine and had to train on a treadmill for six months. All of these people who have incredibly intense training schedules and working schedules, um, for them, sleep becomes the number one factor that allows them to not only stay healthy, but to be mentally checked in. The people who t- um, try to train at a high level on four to five hours of sleep, I find that to be a very temporary training block for them. They, they very rarely make it um, over the long haul with really successful um, consistency day in and day out, which you need to, to run a successful marathon. Here, here. I, I've had that exact same issue, so I know exactly what you yeah. mean. All right, we have another question. This is from Sean. Sarah, when did you know you were good at running and how did you stay motivated? <laughs> I have a daughter who is so talented, but she gets so nervous and I can't get her to relax and just run. Where's Sean? Where is he? How old is your How old is your daughter? 
Four. I started running when I was 14. <laughs> She's hiding. <laughs> don't right. worry. We don't have a, there's no camera you. on you. You're yeah. fine. Um, okay. So I, I started running when I was 14 years old. And how I knew I was good at it, um, this is a ridiculous story, but just bear with me. I grew up on kind of a farm in Washington State. We had a llama, a goat, chickens, a rooster. Um, the rooster in particular, he was very mean and very fast. So one day I ended up going into the barn before school to feed the goat and the llama and the rooster was building this little nest in the corner. He sees me, I see him, we lock eyes and then I tear out of the barn as fast as I can and he chased me for two full laps around my house on my heels, feathers flying, spurs clicking. Um, I finally made it to the back porch, dove in, slammed the door and my dad who is standing at his window, he said, you know, I think I'm gonna sign you up for track. And that is legitimately how I started running. Um, so it's a ridiculous story. But honestly, from that day, um, I thought, oh, I must be fast. Um, that would have been the best race photo of all time. <laughs> he is uh, sadly deceased now, dude, the rooster. But, uh, but no, maybe we could Photoshop a rooster in for CIM. Um, but honestly, someone asked me not too long ago, because, you know, that was oh my gosh, 15 and a half years ago um, that I started running. So someone asked me not too long ago, they're like, look, after all this time of training at a high level, how do you stay hungry? How do you still want it? And I had to really think about that question. And when I finally wrote her back, I was like, look, after 29 years, how do I still hunger for food? How do I still thirst for water? Like I need it. Or eventually my mind and body will tell me that something's missing. And truthfully, running has become as essential to me as food and water. Um, I know that if, you know, if, if tomorrow I step off a curb wrong and broke my leg, I'd have to learn how to function without it. But for right now, you know, this is very, very much a part of my life. And um, to your daughter, I would say, um, you know, find the reason that you love running, you know. And if you, if you truly love it, and this goes for anyone back down to that, you know, that final thread comment is just that if you legitimately enjoy exploring the world on foot, you know, that will, that will just continue to grow throughout your running career. I coach a guy who's 70 years old, and he still loves it. And by the way, he broke three hours in the marathon at 68. So good for Where him. is he? Can you come up here? He's, is he, here today? he is in England, but Mike Sheridan, <laughs> here's the shout out. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming here today. This has been fantastic. Thank you, everybody, for coming. How about a big hand for Sarah? Good luck on thank Sunday, you. and good luck to all of you in your race. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show. Thank you for Topo Athletic, and thank you, Megaton Coffee. This conversation, I was laughing to, I was laughing to a lot of people after the fact who came to, uh, came to the expo and heard this conversation because Sarah is so eloquent that it actually started to intimidate me. Like, here I am, the podcast host, and I started to stutter. I was like, oh, my goodness, this woman is so eloquent and so good with words. If only the host of a podcast could be this eloquent. So, Sarah, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for running your heart out today at CIM. It's those days that we all learn from the most. You know, it's it's so true that, you know, you either win or you learn. And I know, you know, in road racing, winning is it can be a malleable concept. You know, most of us don't win a road race, but we win in a different regard. And as special as those days are, it's sometimes those other days that we learn the most from and that we can use as a springboard for successful days in the future. And I have no doubt that Sarah will continue to just continue to get better and better and better. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Rambling Runner Podcast. I greatly appreciate it. You know, have a great day and happy running.